This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am so excited for today because we have one of my favorite people from the VREP community. No disrespect to anyone, <laughs> but we've got Peter <laughs> Leung. He is the entrepreneur slash... No, he's the investor investor. Yeah, I was getting to oh, it. It was the, okay. the big reveal thought, was I, the investorpreneur. I thought I thought you messed that up. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't. I was uh, I was coming for it. But anyways, investorpreneur Peter is. He wears a lot of hats. But really, I when I think of this guy, if somebody said sum him up in two words, I would say global investor because he is he is so worldly with his understanding of of a variety of different markets. Well, he came up in Vancouver. Yeah, we don't want to spoil it. He now runs a family office out of Hong Kong, and right. uh, I feel like. From his perch in Hong Kong, he's he's in multiple markets, mainly in real estate, but not only, and uh, across at least three continents. It's kind of an incredible story, and he hasn't. I mean, he's been he's been at this for well over a decade, but uh, but scaled incredibly quickly. Um, it's, 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 it's kind of a rags to riches story. It's a humble beginning in pre-sale construction in BC, which a lot of our listeners are going to go. That's me. Yeah. I, I've got a pre-sale condo or I've, I bought a pre-sale condo and I did okay on it. This just goes to show what you can do if you're a bright guy and you trust in your decision-making in your strategy and your, analysis, yeah. and your analysis and your ability to scale. And Peter is one of the most impressive guys I, I can think that I, I'm fortunate to to call uh, call a friend. Yeah, that that is uh, that is for sure. The ability to double down when you see an opportunity. Yes, the confidence. Uh, it's stay tuned for this. It is not a conversation to be missed. Absolutely, and uh, I love I love the the Brexit the Brexit comment. Well, I'm, I don't want to spoil. No, it. don't spoil. Uh, it. Don't don't, just, don't spoil. Let's just, let's yeah, just, let's get, just into it. get into it. But what do we have before we cut to this conversation with? Peter. What do we have, Adam? Uh, we have been on a tear, some might call it. No, no. Well, yeah, that too. It's funny, for years now, people have been talking about improving their lives with through habits and things like this. Sure. And I feel like we're always a little late to that party. It says our waistline. <laughs> this is, uh, I, I feel like I'm on a, I'm, a, I'm finally understanding what everybody was on about. Recently, I want rich Roll, the Rich Roll podcast. Yeah, I started I, listening to this. I think we're, we're talking listening. about Rich Roll ad nauseum here, but we're we're also de deterring no. people from listening to our show. No, no, no. Cal Newport, oh. you put me on. Well, actually, no. Chris Harburn from Markon, who's going to be on the show next week. He put he Chris put, Harburn gives the best recommendations, and I got to say, I've I, he sent an email after the show just summarizing his recommendations. I'm like into all of them, deep into all of them. And uh, they're fantastic. I also follow him on Strava now. Uh, really? Where he does not disappoint. Yeah. Holy man, but do you disappoint him? <laughs> he's like, he's like, <laughs> I thought you said you exercised. He's just, yeah, he's angry. But the thing is, 
Cal Newport on Rich Roll. Uh, I'm only halfway through this. This is so powerful. I've already deleted Twitter and Instagram for the my second phone. time in 2022. <laughs> uh, but here's here's the thing. This is one of my favorite. Uh, this is it's a really good episode. I love the Rich Roll podcast. I find it inspirational. Uh, I've never ran more than five kilometers, but I consider myself a distance runner. Yeah. Um, here's an endurance the thing. athlete. <laughs> an endurance athlete. Yeah, exactly. Um, here's the thing, though. This this episode specifically, though, explained social media to me in a way that uh, scared me for the future of the planet. Yeah. And it actually, I'm I'm actually feeling like I got to do a bit of a detox. That said, we are doing an Instagram <laughs> contest. <laughs> For sure, giveaways, and Melissa is running running yeah, the show her, over there. She, she's her brain's uh, getting destroyed. Yeah, exactly. No, it it is. Uh, we've been giving a ton of shirts away it's, on Instagram. You know what? People people have reached out on Twitter, Instagram, over email. People have just written reviews and then emailed us. We've Our given away one Germany, maybe Germany. Germany was probably the furthest. Yeah, uh, we talked about that last week. Uh, but there's we we're giving out a lot of shirts and. Uh, overwhelmingly positive response. That's you know, for sure. I just got it. I just got a, a message from someone on Instagram. They said, you guys were not lying about the quality of these shirts right? and great design. Yeah, totally. We, you know, we really stepped it up here. We got more shirts on the way. We still have a lot of shirts to give away. I'm actually thinking let's, let's keep this going. Yeah. Share your favorite episode on Instagram, tag us in it. We're going to get notified. We'll repost. We'll try to get you a shirt out, you know, supplies, uh, contingent on what we have left, but we have a lot of shirts to give yeah. away. So definitely participate. We have all sizes still. We do? I think. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Do we have the extra large balloon fit with the small arms? The uh, thing is, I actually, gave away, I actually gave away a shirt to a, a loyal listener who took it as an insult that I gave him an extra large, but the extra large fits like a large. That's, you know, the one downside about these shirts is they fit small, a little bit small. So you feel like you're insulting everyone. Everybody yeah. that's been coming through Kokomo <laughs> Studios, you're like, they're like, yeah, you take yeah. a large. I'll like, take no, a large. An extra large. <laughs> you're an extra large. But <laughs> it's crazy. It's like the reverse of the U.S. sizing. You know when you go to the States and you buy like a small and it fits perfectly yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. like, this is amazing. I'm a small. It's like the reverse of that. We're just beating people up with, with <laughs> these like. Your body small. image is like out of a 14-year-old girl. Yeah, you're exactly. like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. I'm a small. I'm a small. Yeah. I can't wait to tell my wife. Uh, but anyways, it's 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 a it's a, it's a lot of fun uh, uh, turning everybody into an XL. But if you reach out on Instagram or Twitter or wherever, we no longer have yeah, those, on our uh, phone. But we're still yeah, checking. Yeah, we're still Most checking. Is definitely checking. Yeah, people are checking. But anyways, if you reach out and we do send you a shirt. Do not be insulted if we uh, if we tell you that you might need a size up. <laughs> we didn't look at your photos, I promise. <laughs> and Matt, without further ado, why don't we cut to this conversation? Because it's a great one. Our friend and friend of the VRAP community, uh, Peter Leung. The Investrepreneur. Stay tuned. This one's great. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. 
Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one-beds to three-beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Peter Lung. He is the investorpreneur, which we'll, we'll get to, I think. But uh, And past guest fan favorite, welcome back to the show, Peter. Hey, thank you for having me again. I really appreciate it. And you know what? We should specify, Peter, you haven't been on the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. You have been uh, a past guest on the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, but the feedback was so great. We had to have you on this show. So thanks so much for your time. You're very welcome. It's a blessing and an honor to be here. So Peter, um, first of all, I mean, I, I, before we get you to tell us about yourself, investorpreneur, if I am correct, I think you kind of coined this term. That's right. So I'm, I'm a big believer. You know, my biggest life-changing event was investing. So for me, other than uh, being married to my loved one and having kids, the other monumental change in, in my career and, and my family tree was always in the investment world. I never knew anything about investing. And I do believe that uh, investing can be um, a, a life-changing event. And so that's where I believe investing as an entrepreneur. And that's why the, the, the marriage of the two came together, where investor uh, and entrepreneur come together as investorpreneur. So, Peter, I, I, know, I know a little bit about your story, but for our listeners, it's a, it's a pretty incredible journey. And it sounds like, obviously, investing has played a key role. Can, can you maybe start by telling our listeners a, a little bit about yourself and how you came to investing? Absolutely. So, uh, as you guys all know, my name is Peter Leung. I'm um, you know, born in Hong Kong, raised in Canada. All my education through you know, elementary through to university has always been in Vancouver. And so, you know, I yeah, the ver- at a very young age, I learned, you know, I had the paper routes, I had the, you know, grocery store type of jobs, but I've always wanted to understand how I can get ahead. So at the age of 19, uh, I joined a financial um, investment firm. So I wanted to learn more about investing and uh, it was a struggle, right? So it was a long time struggle. You know, I was working with insurance, mutual funds, securities, and the whole bit. And I realized that, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough industry, but the life-changing event came when I remember going to a dentist's home and I was supposed to meet this dentist. I remember it was a beautiful home. It had a three-door garage. It had, you know, a BMW, a Mercedes and a Mustang in this, in this, in, 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 in the three-door garage. And I remember they greeted me at the front door, uh, was the husband, uh, the wife and three children. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. At the age of 19, I said, you know, at the age of 19, I I couldn't imagine, you know, this would be ideal life, like beautiful. Everything was like picture perfect. And, you know, you know, we sat down, we had the moment, uh, you know, with, with tea and coffee and cookies, everything was perfect. Right. And, you know, when we got down to the finances, I was, I was, I was quite shocked because 
this dentist, even though as probably um, the highest uh, tax bracket in in Vancouver in Canada at the moment, we were struggling to save two hundred dollars a month. We were struggling to find two hundred dollars a month in his budget so they can save for the children, the family, and and the legacy. And I was I was really taken aback at that moment because I said, hey how is this possible? I mean, you, you're in the highest tax bracket, but we have to cancel at that time, you know, date us. That was pay-per-view. We had to cancel WrestleMania, <laughs> right? I remember we had to, literally, we had to cancel WrestleMania for like 70 bucks, right? The whole shebang. We, we can't, we had to cut that as a, an expense for him to save $200, right? And I was just, I was just really taken aback and there's gotta be a better way. If, Making money like him wasn't going to get the job done. What would? And that's where I really started pondering upon how do I, you know, how, how, how am I going to make a difference for my clients? How am I going to make a difference for my family? And how am I going to make a difference for my family to come? How can I change my legacy and my family tree and the financial picture that the future holds for, for the Leon family? So that was the, that was the life changing event for me. And ever since that, I was like, okay, what is going to allow my family and the families that I work with to be financially free and to be able to leave a legacy for their family, you know, the generations to come. So that was the start. And that's what started me on the journey of investing. And, and can you talk a little bit about that process? So, so there's this, I don't know if it's an aha moment as much of a kind of, oh my God, this is this is kind of an insane situation for a lot of people living paycheck to paycheck. But but can you talk about the next steps? Like you're you're a young guy, you're at that point you're you're interested in kind of getting ahead, but it seems at least it's it's sort of vague at that moment. Like can you talk about the right. next steps? Absolutely. So what I did was first identified, you know, what what is it going to be, right? What, you know, it was it working harder. Obviously, I mean, as a dentist, I didn't think working harder was probably going to get me further ahead. But the other things was really on the basis of, you know, whether stocks and equities or looking at uh, real estate. Those were the two biggest ones, right? Mutual funds, I knew, you know, having a license in, in stocks and securities that generally speaking, mutual funds wasn't going to get me there, right? I looked at back at the historical performance of some of my clients that was prior to my time being licensed. And they didn't really grow up very much, right? And and so I learned something called the Rule of 72. And that was part of my work was Rule 72, which allowed us to understand how fast money doubles. For those who are listening, and I can't paint this picture for you here, look it up. Just Google it, Rule of 72, and it identifies how long it takes your money to grow at a certain interest rate. And take 72 divided by the interest rate will give you the amount of years your money takes to double. And so mutual funds wasn't going to do it because it was historically four, six, and maybe 8% if you're fairly aggressive, right? And you had to constantly save. And so that wasn't the way. So I had to really start thinking entrepreneurism was definitely really high up my list because I said, okay, if a job wasn't going to do it, right, which I always call J-O-B, stands for journey of the broke. Um, (laughs) Don't want to offend anybody here, but I knew it wasn't going to get me ahead, right? I was very determined. I just just don't want to be you know, what my previous generation was. My father has always been, uh, an, you know, a traveler between Hong Kong and Vancouver. And I think some of your listeners would recognize that as well. We came in 1989. 
So throughout my you know 26 years in Vancouver, I might have spent three to six months with him in total. Right, 26 years I've spent three to six months with him. Now I appreciate him, and I love him, you know, more than anybody can imagine. But I don't want that same path to be repeated from from my child. So if it wasn't stock and equity, if it wasn't going to be a job, it had to be entrepreneurism. How can I utilize different resources, put those things together, build a business? So that was one avenue that I, I pondered upon because those who were really living the lifestyle and be able to look at taxes, which I was, that's where my specialty was, was on taxes, right? You know, how does businesses work with taxation? How can businesses and entrepreneurs work with the benefits that come with entrepreneurism? So that was one. And the second one was historically, there has been more millionaires created in through real estate than ever before. So I said, okay, well, if it's entrepreneurism and real estate, I'm going to discover both those avenues. And so um, at the age of 23, I started a, a restaurant uh, in, in Vancouver. I started a chain of restaurants in Vancouver. Some of you guys may recognize the, 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 the restaurant by the name of Posh. Yeah. But restaurants in Vancouver and Richmond. That was my restaurant. So I started that with two partners. Um, so entrepreneurism became wow. a really big thing. And, um, and the second one was real estate. So during my p- time in in um, doing securities and equities, I also looked at people who were starting to go, well, you know, how does this real estate thing work? Because those who are in the real estate industry always goes, real estate's way better. Those who are in the stocks and equity, it goes, oh, ours is way better, right? So I really wanted to understand both. I never got licensed as the realtor in the real estate industry, but I started looking at the results, right? I started looking at growth of real estate. I started looking at trajectory. I started looking at cash flow. And there was a moment in time that I started realizing that there was a huge influx of immigrants from Japan, from Korea, from Asia, certainly China, Hong Kong. There was a big influx of Europeans and certainly some in the U.S. coming to Vancouver, right, for for the summers. And I said, well, real estate, people were buying them by the droves because it was so inexpensive relative to the international market. And at that time, I think Vancouver was more um, on the radar of many internationals. Today, I think Vancouver is certainly one of the most international cities there is in the world. So all the eyes start to eye Vancouver. And at that time, I said, well, you know, I, I'm going to continue to do business, but I, didn't, I couldn't come up with a down payment. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't get involved in real estate. And it was only when I started the entrepreneurism that started to pro- provide some cash flow, that started to provide some, you know, gains, and I was able to venture into real estate. And, and my path from that point, after I made that decision, was to um, study right, was to learn from other people, mentors. And that was my big way because that's how I got into the financial industry was through mentorship. People taught me their life experience. And if I can do that, if I can learn from somebody who's been in the industry, in the finance industry for 30, 40 years, and I was 19, but they can teach me 40 years of experience and condense that into two, three years, I'm going to be way faster ahead. And that's exactly what I did in real estate. So that's, that's my path. And and so, Peter, one, there's definitely a lot of people and probably people that spend too much time on Twitter or or reading the Globe and Mail or or whatever. You're right. It's it, there's a there's kind of a real estate camp and an equities camp. Right. That and, and right now it seems like, you know, at least as far as I can tell in the mainstream media in Canada, it's 
ETFs, real estate's dead. That's kind of the the narrative. Can you maybe talk a little bit or unpack, I guess, that process of discovery where where you realized real estate was was the right path for you? Sure. Well, first and foremost, for for full disclosure, I still invest in stocks and equities. As a matter of fact, an investorpreneur is about that, right? And where I believe investing as an entrepreneur. So that becomes my my whole gamut. But um, real estate is certainly a core, the most core out of the investment portfolio that I have. But you know, when I look at real estate and 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 stocks and equities, what separates, I think, in my opinion, and speaking with to many internationals and many investors, what separates the I would say the people who really have made it right actively, passively have done well and and chosen the lifestyle has always had real estate as part of their portfolio, always, but not all of them have had stocks and equities as part of their portfolio. So that's, that's, I think that's one, you know, differentiator. Those who are ultra successful, but you know, mentors of mine, they always have real estate. They may not be involved in the stocks and equities. And secondly, what I found was it wasn't the tool. It wasn't necessarily the vehicle, right? It's, you know, just like driving a car. If you want to get from, you know, if you want to get from downtown to Richmond, it wasn't, the difference wasn't, you know, if you drove a Ferrari versus a Ford, right? What's going to get you there faster. It was necessary about the route. It's always about the driver. It's the route. It's the strategy and the, and the, and the people, what fits you. Right. And last but not least, the strategy of stocks and equities, most people never become successful because they sell and trade too quickly, right? It's the same problem with real estate. Many people trade real estate. Oh, they buy a piece of real estate. They trade out a piece of real estate. They make some money and they buy the next one. And I've always said this to investors. I'm a hoarder. I'm, I'm Chinese by nature. I'm a hoarder, right? I love hoarding real estate. I don't like to transact real estate. And what that means is I like to buy refinance, and I like to hold, right? I like to buy and hold essentially, right? That's my strategy. And that's what most people don't do in in stocks and equities either. They buy a stock and they go, oh, I made 10 cents. I made 5%. I'm going to sell. I'm going to wait for the dip. I'm going to buy it again. Well, you know what? It it takes off and you never buy it. And then you miss the boat. So for 5%, you made 5%, but you missed the opportunity of 95% growth. And that's what happens in stocks and equities because it's so easy by the click of a button or phone call you can really, it's so easy to transact. Transaction costs so low. But whereas real estate, it's inherited in the system where buying and selling takes time. It takes energy. It takes showing open houses. It takes, you know, financing. The commitment is totally different. And when people buy real estate, they tend to hold on to real estate for that reason. Because when they transact, they realize there's going to be fees, there's going to be legal fees, mortgage break, break clauses that they have to pay for penalties there. They're going to have to find a realtor that they trust. Then they're going to be like, well, am I going to be missing out when I sell? You know, I'm going to miss the game. But people don't have the same mentality as real estate as in, as in uh, stocks and equities. And what fit my portfolio, my, my profile, was that I liked the hoard, right? And because of that, I knew collecting real estate would have been the method that worked best for me. And it's always calculatable, right? A lot of people look at stocks and equities being calculated, but I look at, you know, but it's hard to f- figure out what the EPS of a, of a company, right? Of like a Facebook or a meta, but whereas real estate, it's all about comps, which means that it gives me a whole lot more accuracy. It gives me a lot more understanding. So in the sense of 
residential, right? You have, you know, have a building, right? You have A, B, C, D unit, right? Which spaces different areas. But if you're, you know, you're on the 20th floor and the 22nd floor sold for, you know, a certain 200, you know, say $600,000, but you're two floor down, you have the same floor plate that now gives you a comparison, a comp, right? Comparable. Mm -hmm. And so I could look at comps and analyze data, right? To be able to identify what my best, you know, how long did it sell for? It sold in two days. Well, guess what? You know what? Maybe 600,000 is a little bit cheaper. and maybe I'm going to try a little higher. So working with the right realtors, working with the right team always becomes the fundamental. But because of these comps, because of the appraisals, because of all these variables, I'm able to have an edge, whereas I'm not able to have that same edge necessarily in stocks and equities. Right. That's why I love real estate. It's interesting. It's, uh, you know, thinking about the the system of buying and selling as being so clunky that it forces people to hold <laughs> yeah. um, and saves people from themselves <laughs> is is just an interesting thought. Can you talk a little bit about like your start in real estate? Like how did, and, and it sounds like it, it, you started in residential. I absolutely did. Residential real estate was the, was the turning point for me because I never, I never looked at commercial, right? I mean, you always start thinking, okay, I'm going to start small. I got to figure out what to do. And everybody talks about residential. Very few people talk about commercial. And so my start in it was simply identifying demand. The demand for when this immigrant, when I was speaking about immigrants, there was a lot of influx of immigrants in, you know, about year 2000. And so when you had all these people start to flood into town, everybody needs a place to stay. So, you know, you have stats of, you know, say 100,000 people move into the lower mainland. Well, three people to a home, that means 33,000 homes, right? When you have 33,000 homes, we're building, you know, 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 homes. Well, where are everybody going to live? So if they can't live, there's only two possibilities. One, they're moving further out, or secondly, they're going to have to pay more, right? That's, there's only two variables to that. So as there was an influx of people, I started my journey because I, I started to save a little bit of money. I started to go, okay, you know, my, my business in the restaurant industry, even though it was a tough grind, I started to save every bit I could, right? I was working all, you know, 365 days, right? Um, every shift, every day was a double shift. And even though I had my own restaurant, that was how I saved money because I didn't wasn't spending it. And so I was able to save enough that allowed me to get a down payment on uh, a presale. And at that time, presales was uh, below market value, right? So you're buying, and what a presale is, is you're buying something, you're basically buying a contract that um, in three to four years that you're going to be purchasing this home and completing on it and putting a mortgage on it. So, but at that time, you only had to put down 5%, right, initially, and then mm -hmm. you could pay maybe another five in six months or even in 12 months. So I said, okay, I could scrap that up. I could, I could, I could muscle that. So then I started buying pre-sales and, and pre-sales was my core strategy at that time because I couldn't, I couldn't get a mortgage, right? As an entrepreneur, and some of you guys may know, entrepreneurs are very hard to get financing, right? Especially they look at, you don't have T4s, right? You're looking at, you know, your, your, your investment income, which I didn't really have any. Um, and, and then the other one is you're looking at your, uh, your, your, your business profit. And as a restaurant, that's not the type of profile that bank liked. And so I could only scrape up enough. All what I could qualify for was uh, pre-sales. And so I, I bought a pre-sale and uh, 5% down. 
And I realized, hey, you know what? I actually could do this. So I'm buying a future contract for three to four years. So if the price of real estate goes up, right? And, um, you know, it was fairly predictable at that time because there was people buying units. I want four of those eight units. I want, you know, half a floor. I want three units. I realized there was huge demand for pre-sales. And so when I bought a pre-sale, actually I bought uh, three pre-sales in the first six months, right, of me getting involved in real estate. And so a lot of people go, well, Peter, that's a big gamble. Um, but I also know I have three or four years, right, of, of horizon. I believed in my future. I believed in my earning ability. I believed in my ability to save money. And so that's how I ventured into the, the life of real estate. And um, it started off with the pre-sales. I turned around. I remember the prices went up. And those pre-sales at that time, I mean, you know, date me a little bit. But I remember those pre-sales being like $20,000 down, $15,000 down, right? And because it was $15,000 down or $20,000 down, the prices rose really fast. And so when the prices of the real estate, even though I'm buying a $300,000 condo, it rose to 350000 That essentially is a 200000 200 plus percent gain on, on my money, cash on cash, right? Mm-hmm. However, I deploy 15, 20,000, right? If it goes up by 40, you know, it goes up to 45,000, I made 200% return. And I realized, hey, that's workable. So, you know, in the assignment clauses that are available on the pre sale contracts, you're allowed to assign. At that time, you didn't have the 2% assignment fees. You didn't necessarily, you know, there was n- much less strict rules in terms of, you know, having the developer's permission to list on MLS, right? So all those things I started discovering and how I can work those clauses to my advantage. And so I just, that's how I started. And so I end up, I think the most I, I end up owning was like, I think 13 or 14 pre-sales and, I, and very few of them I sold because I realized, oh my gosh, right? You know, as the prices climbed, I'm, I'm really making a lot of money. So I completed on most of those units and I still have many of those units today. So that, that's a bold, a bold strategy for sure. And it sounds like, uh, you know, one thing that strikes me is everything you're saying seems so clear, right? That there's a demand, you, you watch demand, you watched immigration, uh, you bet on yourself and you worked really hard, but, but none of this is rocket science. <laughs> No, it's, it's not supposed to be, right? Real estate's not rocket science. And that's the thing, right? Stocks and equities, you can't really see as much clarity. Private equity, you can't see as much clarity, right? Buying and in, investing with other people, you can learn from them, but you're not necessarily, you know, this is not rocket science because it's, uh, you know, on condos and residential, it's all about comps, right? Um, and so you got to believe in the developer and you buy a good developer, buy good contracts, right? Negotiate, a, you know, a, a, a lower percentage down, right? And you're able to get a lot of advantages, right? And you can even get bulk. And, you know, this is, and I still do pre-sales today. I just don't do it in Canada. I do a lot of pre-sales in, in, in UK. I started doing that. I replicated that same strategy in the UK during Brexit, right? And you know, three months after Brexit, I bought a floor in Canary Wharf in UK, right? That was a, a 11, you know, about $11 million purchase, uh, same same strategy. Don't let the numbers scare you, right? You can't let the numbers scare you because it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. What it does is how much risk are you willing to absorb? Every investment takes some element of risk, right? And um, you know, unless you're living in the home, which I consider a lifestyle choice, right? Driving a, a beautiful car, right, is is a lifestyle choice. It's not a 
It's not a, uh, it's not an investment. Car is not an investment. If you're wearing your watch, that's not an investment. If you're, you know, having your primary residence, I never consider that an investment because if it goes up, are you really going to sell it and then tell your wife and kids or your husband to, we're going to move because we made an extra 20 grand on our primary residence? Right. You don't. So it's not really an investment. So if you look at an put an investment hat on, then it's just okay. Where's the risk? What are the uh, best? What are the uh, you know best case scenario? What's the worst case scenario? What's most likely? Right? Blue sky, gray sky, and most likely. So you take that philosophy and go, okay, you know what? If I understand real estate and 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 especially in residential where there's so much opportunity, right? And timing is critical. Location is critical. You understand these elements. You put that all together. You're, you're able to build a business out of it very, very quickly. And, you know, yes, I might sound, make that sound very easy, but at, like anything, you need to put some work in. You need to have the right mentorship you, or people that you trust at the very least. Mentorship doesn't mean paid mentorship. It could mean, you know, the great team that has experience, you know, behind them that really can, you know, fit in with your philosophy, right? Because there's, you know, philosophy is very important, right? Do you find somebody that matches that philosophy that can teach you what you want to know? And all my mentors all about intergenerational wealth. You know, wealth that can be developed years, generations, and being passed for many generations to come. So those are my mentors that have helped me uh, understand that. And, and from there, I went from residential, where I do, you know, different elements of residential to commercial and industrial and yeah, just never look back. But um, you know, don't also don't sell, don't doubt yourself because man, I mean, you know, doing your job, doing any job wasn't easy at the beginning. But once you have it, you have it figured out. Then it's how fast can you do it? How if uh, how efficient can you be at it? And that's uh, that's where real estate became a uh, a pinnacle part of my portfolio. So Peter, you know, you mentioned timing there. I, I'm. Curious, because so pre-sale is a start. Pre-sale in Vancouver is a start. You're a global investor across various asset classes, various continents. Can you talk about transitioning away from pre-sale? Maybe what changed in, in Van, the Vancouver pre-sale market that, that led you to a different area and how you find those opportunities? Sure. So I'll, I'll mention a couple of key timing. You know, you mentioned timing there. Pre-sale was a timing, Right. And, you know, what, what changed there is that now, if you look at pre-sales, you're selling typically, right, in a hot market like this, or, you know, even though, you know, the, the, it's more of a neutral market in some cases, right? Or I would say this, right, you're, you're, you're putting a down a lot more down payment, right? Sometimes 10 to 20, 25% even. That's number one. Number two is that you're now having a situation where the pre-sales are often more expensive. It's a, fu- a future contract is buying on future value that the price is going to go up. So I never like to speculate on that, right? We always want to buy with something called margin of safety. That's more of a stock thing than it is a, uh, a real estate thing. But for me, uh, investing is investing. So I, I, I'm, I, I mix those terms. Margin of safety allows me to go, okay, if a price of real estate today is $500,000, I'm able to buy it for 50. I have a margin of safety of 50,000, right? So contracts today typically are at the same, if not higher value, because the expectation is that if the market uh, value is 500, they're selling it to you for 530 or 550. So to me, that no longer gave me a margin of safety. And as an investor, I'm not, I, I just need to look at the math, right? So the 
time, the transition out of that became, okay, you know, now that I got these pre-sales and I've already bought some of them, I've been able to turn around a few of these and actually assign these contracts. I moved into, I understood that financing was going to be a very critical piece of my portfolio, right? How do I work with banks to finance my deals? And when it comes to residential, at that time, PDSR wasn't necessarily as strict. And, you know, most banks were allowing you, you know, 10, 10 mortgages, right? Most banks today only allow five, right? On a, on a, on a good note, right? right? And so therefore I knew that my future to finance these deals were going to be infinitely or more challenging for me because as an entrepreneur, I wasn't getting, that was not my, you know, strong point, right? It was the financing part. So I transitioned into, that's where I transitioned into North, into Canada. I transitioned mostly into commercial because I knew the rules and regulations were different. So for those who want to learn about that, your sister podcast will, will share a little bit about that right. on commercial real estate. But, um, you know, then learning from, from those elements, I started going into the UK 2016 when Brexit became a big deal. The pound was down. Right from a dollar fifty-two to down to a dollar thirty-eight in one day, essentially because of Brexit, I learned um, that was a moment of opportunity. So to me, you know, people talk about location, location, location. I talk about timing, timing, timing. Timing comes before location because if you bought in Vancouver when you know two years ago, it didn't really matter where you bought in Vancouver. You could have you could have thrown a dart, and you know any donkey would have made money. The difference was. That was, that, was, that, was, that was timing. Then came location. Now, location gives you more of an uplift. Some areas going to go 10%, some areas going to go 20 some places are going to go 30 So if you studied the data in terms of location, then you're even getting further ahead. You're getting anomaly. You're getting excess return. But in 2016, I transitioned to do the same thing in the UK because Brexit was a, in my opinion, was a temporary moment, right? I mean, temporary being, could it be five years? It could be 10 but as an investor, I'm not looking at day-to-day. I started investing a lot into the UK during that time and because of Brexit. And so um, I, I bought the pound real cheap, which is another strategy between FX, right? Buying, you know, keeping a, cur- a staple currency and using currencies to in- enhance your returns. And um, so when that's when I went to the UK, bought up, um, you know, um, residential properties uh, which we call them HMOs, right? Housing of multiple occupancies. That was like, you know, sort of a mini, um, you know, look at it this way. You buy a house with land in it. You buy, f- you know, five rooms and you're able to rent out the rooms independently, right? Housing of multiple occupancies, big thing in the UK. And so I said, okay, you know, I bought my first property in Manhattan. I, I bought my first property in 2016 in nor- Northern part of the UK. And I paid 36,000 pounds for a property with five rooms. 36,000 pounds roughly wow. equates to $70,000 Canadian. All right. So I went, okay, so if I can take this deal and I can renovate it, I can turn it around, that deal pro- produces over 40% return per year for me. 40%. So I said, seriously, if <laughs> this is true, how fast can I do it? And so within the two years, we bought uh, 46 homes in the UK. And by the way, I've only went to the UK, you know, essentially nine months before Brexit. 
So I've never really understood the area. I didn't know the local culture, didn't really have my contacts. But I, that's what I spent time doing is figuring out the contacts, figuring who I can trust, who I can do, uh, who, who can do the renos, who can do all that. And fast forward to, you know, COVID, right, um, was another, the third pivotal change in the residential side for me was um, I knew that early on 2000, uh, what would it be, 2019, I think 2019, right, was when COVID came around. And um, essentially what happened was, or 2000, no, 2020. Early yeah, late 2020, 2019, early right? 2020. Yeah, 2020. So 2020, I remember, you know, this was when I was in New York, um, at a conference speaking. And, um, I realized this right, right at Chinese new year, you had this you know thing called COVID-19 and that time, everybody obviously didn't know what was going on, including myself. Nobody has a crystal ball, but what I did, you know, I, I also predicted that, you know, had a, had a belief that hyperinflation was going to happen, which means that real estate was definitely going to be on the climb because very few things hedges against inflation in a, in a significant way. And, and I said, okay, well, if, that, if that's real estate, I'm going to prepare. But little did I know that instead of the market going down, then up, it actually literally had no activity. And then all of a sudden in the fall of 2020, it just went kaboom, right? And so when that happened, I knew I couldn't wait, right? Timing was everything. So I didn't buy, and candidly, I didn't buy in Vancouver. I didn't buy in Toronto. I bought in Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, right? Because land was, you know, houses were inexpensive. Right. And at that time, um, you know, BC residents or Ontario residents were, were not really thinking about these outskirts areas. I didn't do Edmonton or Calgary because the demand was was um, was still lacking. But New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, where visitors were, you know, a lot, but you didn't have um, you didn't have necessarily a lot of uh, influx of immigrants. So I knew this, the stability of the market. So I did the same thing, exactly what I did in the UK, exactly what I did in in, in Vancouver at the time. I didn't do pre-sales, but I did buy these existing houses, converted them, uh, duplexes, triplexes, quads, you know, five, fivers, uh, six units. And so we bought them at, you know, $30,000, $40,000 uh, per unit, right? And, um, you know, usually under that. And so during this whole COVID era, you know, all the prices of real estate essentially doubled because we're buying with such margin of safety. So to me, timing comes before location. As I look at the global economy, where things are, and I think can, Canadian real estate, not, you know, is going to be continuing to be strong because there's very few places in the world, and I've been to many, many parts of the world, um, that very few places like Vancouver, where you'll have, you know, people love to be there. It's a great place to be. It's got, you know, it's got a great winter. It's got a great summer. It's got a local presence where it's friendly. It's uh, is relatively, uh, believe it or not, it's relatively still affordable compared to the global stage, right? I know that for those living in Vancouver, you'd be like, wow, inflation is going crazy. But you know what? Vancouver is, is relatively held it out very well. And prices of real estate in the, in the global context is still relatively inexpensive. Right. So because of these things, you know, we look at a, a, a geographic coal component like a city, but investors are not looking, you know, guys like Blackstone, guys like KKR, guys, private equity funds, you know, you're that, that have pension money. They're not looking at, you know, just one city. They're looking at where do I invest in the world? And I would certainly tell you Vancouver is one of those areas that the, the serious institutional investors are looking at. 
And that's why I, I still have a very strong faith in not only the Vancouver real estate market, including commercial, but I also believe in that of the Canadian economy in terms of res, uh, residential and commercial real estate. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. So, so Peter... I just want to drill down a little bit on timing because, uh, you know, it makes a lot of sense. I think somebody out there is wondering, you know, uh, you seem like you're, you're pretty dialed when it comes to forecasting. How do you get this right? What are you, what are you looking at? What, what news sources are you, are you engaging? How, how are you, uh, like, are you pouring over data for three, four hours in the morning thinking about what six months from now looks like? Like how, how do you, how do you f- move with confidence when you're thinking about timing? That's a brilliant question. That's a brilliant question. So I don't <laughs> spend you. three or four hours dialing. Actually, that's probably one of the best questions I've had in any interview. I've had. <laughs> you should see Matt's head. That, that's a brilliant question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, here's what I here's what I, I I do. Right, I mean, Bloomberg is a regular to me because what's happening on the global stage, you know. What happens in the U.S. is going to trickle to Canada. What happens in the U.K. If essentially, if a if a country starts to default, guess what? It's going to affect other countries because of trade, because of um, you know economics, because of uh, foreign exchange. So if you look at the U.S. as the as the FX goes up very well, um, you know, be as strong as it is, I'm I love it because what happens is I'm using FX to benefit because I'm now able to buy Canadian real estate at, at a discount. Technically, it's a discount, so that's that's the way I look at it. Uh, Bloomberg is a regular Reuters, which is um, you know which which I 
you know, also pour into, yeah, I, I do a little a bit of Wall Street Journal and all this other stuff. But the reality is it's, you know, investor, you know, speaking with other investors, true investors, not just guys who go, oh, here, here's some money, but the guys who are actually doing it on the ground, who, you know, are, 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 are moving stones and bricks and, and, and building. That's also a core data, right? And, you know, where those things become very important to me. So I spent a good chunk of my time actually speaking to investors, speaking to investors that want to deploy capital, uh, speaking to investors that want to, um, you know, raise capital to banks. Banks are probably the one most underutilized resource because most people think of banks as a, you know, they're fighting against me. Well, my way of looking at banks is they're fighting with me because bankers have the data, right? When you buy a piece of property and they tell you the appraisal came out to be a certain so-and-so, residential a little bit less so, but in commercial, they tell me exactly what they think. Peter, I don't think this is a really good purchase. And they'll tell you that by giving you a lower loan to value. They'll tell you because of higher fees. They'll tell you because it's not really their appetite. So that allows me to understand what they are thinking. Read between the lines, right? You know, there's a time that, so I spend a lot of time doing that, whether it's the UK, Canada, US, uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, that of Hong Kong, certainly, or, or APEC. Um, so I speak with a lot of investors from different walks of life, people who are builders, developers, um, as well as that of bankers. So that is where I spend more time than reading data, because by the time that data, data is always looking at behind the scenes, right? I mean, when data comes out, it's usually a month, two months, three months. And that's why the Fed and the U.S. can't get it right. Because right, they go the lag. Yeah. You know, inflation. You're looking backwards, right? Okay, you're just guessing on the on what's coming. So I, that's that's what I do a lot of, is speaking with guys like yourself, Matt and Adam, right? Um, guys that are on the ground, you know, how fast is the market moving? How many people are you seeing? Are there a lot of showings? How many showings are there? You know, a lot of offers coming in. What, what are the offers looking like? Are people, you know, when it's a rental market, you know, you know do people... How many, you know, how many people showed up and when they showed up, are they, how aggressive are they in terms of filling out a form when they fill out a form, how committed are they? Do they follow up? So th- that's how you gauge demand, right? That's true demand because that, that allows you to understand exactly what's happening on the market. That's, those are some of the things I do certainly. And then of course, you know, data points, you, you read what's happening, inflation. You, 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 I listen to the feds. I listen to, you know, the BOC. I listen to the bankers. I get on a lot of, I get on a lot of uh, seminars, webinars. I also, you know, still continue to, you know, get engaged because I don't know everything, and I don't. I, I certainly hope I won't know everything because that helps me continue to grow. That's what we're looking forward to, and so that allows me to see what the future has in sight. Now, uh, I, I will make the final point here on on forecasting. You know, there was a time that I realized, you know, in stocks and equities, you have these analysts come out and go, oh, you know, we believe this, we believe that. And, you know, when when the earnings come out of the company, they go, oh, man, uh, you know, the earnings didn't come nearly as well. And they, you know, they, they tone down or they 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 re-rate a, um, a company or they, you know, the, the, the rating or the buy-sell rating. And I said, man, that's, that's BS because that's like, you know, you're wrong and then you, you adjust. Right. So here's what I understand about forecast. Forecast is designed only as an anticipation. So I always look at this best case, worst case, most likely, right? 
is there any reason to believe it'll change? And what goes up continues to go up and what goes down continues to go down. So I never, ever look at, here's my tip. I never look to buy and try to find the bottom. There is no such thing. There's no bottom and there's no top because nobody knows, right? I don't have a crystal ball. But what I can predict is that when, you know, if the demand is high, prices will continue and they're always out it'll always exceed what is normal. And when you start getting, you know, this is true when you have taxi drivers, when you have Uber drivers, when you have everybody start, you know, including my mom and dad going, Oh my God, we should be buying. That's when you should be uh, very cautious (laughs) because when everybody talks about it, you know, when everybody goes one way, you know, the latest one would be Bitcoin. I'm not a Bitcoin hider. I, you know, hater. I I also have some cryptocurrency, very little part of that investment um, of my portfolio. But the reality is when everybody talks about getting in, I'm not saying get out, but you need to be able to understand when to take profit. And when it comes to real estate, the key is to refinance your property as early as you can, right? And if you can do that, then your cost, what we call a cost adjusted cost basis, ACB, is very low. Therefore, you're no money out of the pocket. You've taken all, you're, you're only using um, gains to play the real estate game. And that is the best position that you want to be in. And shout out to Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Leung, who uh, <laughs> made their first real estate investment very recently. Uh, um, so, so Peter, uh, just thinking about, I, I love this idea of timing, 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 and, and being the most important thing that you're monitoring. So we're in a really interesting moment right now, uh, obviously with, uh, in a high interest rate environment. And also on the verge of a lot of new immigration coming to Canada, is there is there a, a, a potential for a, a timing move in, in this moment? So here's the thing. That's also a very good question. Here, here's what I also look at. It's almost like driving a car, right? You have your brake, you have your gas, and you have your gas you know, off the pedal, right? You just let the car cruise. Right now, it's just cruising. So I, I, I look at that and I go, is that a trend? Absolutely it is. Because what happens is it's going to take time. Everything takes time, right? Notice when I started in real estate, you know, looking at different trends to 2016, then the next big bang was 2020. There's time in between that. I'm not constantly, there's not always constantly a trend that you go, oh my God, I go from city to city just doing exactly the same thing. Canada is going to do, you know, exactly that. It's gone through a really big gain. And it's going to have to take a little bit of time for the demand to, 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 to get absorbed. Yes, there's going to be a lot of people coming, right? But now when you talk to your neighbors about buying, everybody's a little bit more hesitant. Everybody's like, well, let's sit and wait. Everybody is a little bit like, well, it's hard to qualify. Interest rates have gone up so much that it, that is exactly what interest rate rise is supposed to do. That is the reason they're raising interest rate is they want to curb the demand. Right. So that basically is telling me they're trying to slow it down and you're trying to bet against them. Well, you know what? I'm not a gambler, but that's not a bet I want to take. Right. Generally speaking, I don't want to bet against them. So, you know, this is where I look at it and go, okay, does the number stack up? If the numbers stack up and there's still deals that I'm doing today, right? There are definitely deals I'm still doing, right? But it has to be done the numbers. Now, you need to turn that disadvantage, which is timing, 
to your favor. And this is this this is where entrepreneurism comes in, right? You gotta face uh, you know all odds. I mean, when things go bad, it's you know the environment changes. You still gotta survive, right? You still gotta continue to push forward as an as an investor. So I look at this and going, well, Cal, where are you gonna see cash flow? How are you able to get margin of safety? Are you able to negotiate a better deal? If nobody is really buying it, sitting on the market for a long time, can you push it? Right? Can you look at alternative ways to finance your deals if the banks won't finance? Is there um, alternative methods of you know, um, perhaps getting it under contract or a, the ability to have a, a, um, a completion or perhaps later in the future? Is there a way to get it under contract where it's just subject to? Right? In the U.S., they call it subject to. Um, in, in the U.K., they call it options. Right? So you, know, you can look at various ways to be creative in, in structuring your deal. And that is what you start to, you need to be able to do that in all circumstances, whether the economy is good, bad, or ugly, right? You're still looking at, okay, can my numbers stack up? I'm still looking at buying in, the, in, in New Brunswick, Nova Scotia. But now they have rules where they don't allow, you know, out-of-province people to, to buy. And that's because there was such a huge influx of people buying in these in, in these cities cities. So in Vancouver, I would say I, I don't necessarily see a clear trend of an up, the next boom, but I certainly don't see a significant down because the demand continues to pour in. And at some point when the interest rates, which is very you know, what I what I personally believe, interest rates are designed to go up and down as a lever. So if it's higher than where they are, right, where they want inflation to be at two percent, they're going to continue to try to increase interest rates so it curbs the demand. And so when you start to see that they are no longer rising or raising their interest rates half a point, three quarters of a point, then that is also an indicator where they're starting to tune down. They're going to soften, which means those are probably more of a stable time to be able to purchase. But of course, if your numbers stack up, then any time is a good time because there's always going to be people who want to sell their property. And as the Canadian dollar is weak, there is a lot of influx of, of, of people still going to Canada and certainly Vancouver being one of the top choices. So I, I think that the drops are going to be fairly mild to be, to be fair. That's, that's what I see. Peter, I'm, I'm just thinking about you in this global operating in this global context and talking to investors all the time. What, what role does Vancouver play in the global context, in your mind, do you do you see it? Like, do people, when when you talk to people that that are investing globally, like, what do they look at? Maybe Canada and and Vancouver as a role. So Vancouver and the residential real estate, I would say it always has a place in their heart because it's one of those places where it's beautiful. It's a great place to be. It's um, it's very friendly. You have, you know, great food, you have great, you know, great, you know, great environment all around, you know, Canadian dollars week is certainly for right now. So it's very high on their radar where the bear, the, the, the challenges may be, you know, uh, facing against Vancouver residential real estate would be the foreign buyers tax. So um, you have elements or, or empty homes tax. So there's a lot of people who go, well, more so the, the 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 Chinese, I would say, you know, particularly. So you have to understand demographics specifically: who's moving, how fast are they moving, how much of that is coming. Certainly, people in 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 China, 
that move to Canada, they rather leave, a lot of times, they rather leave their house empty than to rent it out. That's just how they prefer it. And so that's why the empty home tax is sort of something that they don't really love. And then you have the, you have the speculation tax, which to them is going, well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm maybe not a Canadian yet. Therefore, that's going to hold a little bit of their urge. But here's what I do understand, though. The counter to that, I'm gonna give, I'll give you the definition to the, the counter to that, too, is that internationals know that isn't going to change. And as the global economy continues to evolve, every city will be less and less inclined to have speculations or speculators in real estate enter their market because the prices will be unaffordable for the locals. And it will happen everywhere around the globe. Mm -hmm. And it only happens, though, for places that are extremely highly desirable. And that's exactly where Vancouver comes in. And so you look at it going, well, you know, prices are high. Why? Because it's highly desirable. Well, why is it highly, you know, that's what investors are looking at. People who want to be living in it, people who want to be investing in it. You know, would you want to buy the best stock or do you want to buy the worst stock? I mean, nobody goes, oh, I want to pick the worst stock and see if I can rebound. Nobody wants to do that, right? Everybody goes, oh, I want to buy the Amazon. I want to buy the Google. I want to buy the best companies because I know it's got longevity. It's got legs to run. Nobody goes, oh, I want to buy the most you know, ugliest penny stock because it might just rebound, mm -hmm. right? And you know, if you look at it that way, that's why Vancouver real estate always is, I, in my personal opinion, having been to all these places and speaking to all these investors, Vancouver continues to be an extremely highly desirable place. And if investors are not buying multiple properties, they will at least consider you know, buying one, right? Yeah, I pay a little bit of tax, fine, but so be it. Because what ends up happening is this, this is, you, you, it's, it's what we, in like commercial, it's it, 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 the replacement costs, right? In this case, it's, you can't, the prices will be higher in 10 years than it is now. So therefore, even though I have to pay a tax today, I may consider it if I want to come to this place. And that's where Vancouver really has a place in these investors' heart or these people that want a best place to live in heart. Peter, we, we told you we would take 30 minutes of your time. We've now taken an hour. Um, we're very, very thankful for that. And I, I feel like we could go another two or three hours here quite easily. But um, uh, we do have this segment for the five called the Five Wire, five lighthearted questions that we end the show with. Can you stick around for that? Absolutely. You guys have been awesome. That's I got I got passionate there. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, I'm I'm inspired. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive, tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top ten percent of realtors in the Lower Mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Uh, so question number one is, what is one book that you'd recommend for all of our listeners? Um, so I set this on your sister podcast and commercial, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John C. Maxwell. That is the book that has changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. And it's, it's in every way from doing business to working with people to belief, my self-belief and believing in other people, uh, that has absolutely changed my life. So 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. 
Question number two, Peter, what is one practice behavior or habit that you've employed in the last, uh, recently, the last few years that's had a really positive impact on your life? Habit. I would say this. I'm on the verge of writing a book called Tea Time. I would say this. That's my shameless plug. It, it's about building relationships. And so my habit is to build great relationships. And I build great relationships with people that I, you know, I, 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 I'm going to take this um, belief and I'm going to share this here. It's called PFM. I didn't invent it. I got it from a gentleman, my business coach and mentor, Mark Anthony. PFM stands for people, fun, and money in that exact order. People first, hang around with great people that's gonna, you know, that, that you're going to have a lot of fun with. And those people that you're going to have a lot of fun with, we're going to make a lot of money together. So it's always PFM. You know, I was just listening to something where the guy made the point, if you're thinking about networking as networking, you're doing it wrong, which, uh, which sounds Absolutely. like it's, it's, uh, it fits right in with, with your point there. Absolutely. People is the most important thing, right? You know, if, if you have good people around you, they, they encourage you, they, they, they fuel you. If you have people who are pessimistic, you're, it's going to be a tough road. So you're going to have to find great people that are, 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 that, that are going to make you more enthusiastic about life. And to me, it's my kids, it's my wife. I'm so very thankful. Um, so, you know, from there, you know, that's why I got a business coach because I'm getting super positive about the ideas, inspirations, execution about how I can, I can do things better. And um, that's a shout out to my business coach, Mark Anthony. And, and it's worth pointing out uh, just in terms of a through line of the conversation here, I think, your relationships with banks uh, are, are, are different than a lot of people conceive of them, right? Like as partners, we didn't even get to how do you understand the market? Because my understanding of how you're approaching these various markets you're in is building out really strong, talented teams, as opposed to getting on the ground and, and kind of being in control of every piece of minutia yourself, right? Like it does seem like you're the, the, your ability to scale and your, your growth trajectory has been really based on relationships and people. Absolutely. Uh, I'm not, I mean, here's what I'll, I'll, I'll say to prove that point, right? Um, since COVID, I have not been to Nova Scotia or Newfoundland, right? Or Nova Scotia, New Brunswick. I'm not, I've never actually sat foot there ever in my life, right? <laughs> and, and yet we've, you know, the, the biggest capital deployment since COVID New Brunswick and Nova Scotia is number three on that list. And I've never been there. I've never been, never, never even landed at the airport. Right. Um, so I, that's, that's to the teams that we we're building. That's to the people I'm working with. That's to the partnerships that we're building to, um, the management companies that we're working with. So to me, relationship is everything. That's why you've got to work with great people, only great people, people you can trust. That, that's fantastic. Question number three, Peter, what is something you've been binge watching lately or a movie recommendation? I have a feeling you don't, you don't watch a ton of uh, TV I, I, or sleep. <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, you know, with kids, I actually eliminated the TV. We got a 65 inch and, and we haven't even got it plugged in. I would say the latest ones, uh, certainly, I mean, it dates me a little bit. Suits has always been a big one. Billions was probably an... I would say that's probably closest to the latest I've, I've, I've really binged on. I don't really binge a lot. I, I do have to say, I really do enjoy the Netflix documentaries. Those have been really good. 
so I, I don't like to binge because you know what what happens is I spend three days and I want to watch the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> that's the type of guy I am. I, I like to conquer the whole thing. And the, and the problem with like you know multi part multi series like you end up sitting there for three days. So I love the things I can finish in an hour and a half. And I don't really watch a ton of of, of TV to be fair. Suits uh, also Corey Wright's favorite. That, uh, that may be how you guys bonded in the first place. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's a beautiful show. And I Mark, uh, I met, uh, I met uh, Harvey Specter as well. We spoke on the same stage. That was pretty cool. All right. Mm-hmm. Nice. Something that you've purchased for under $1,500 recently that's changed your life. Golf clubs. Under 1500 bucks, absolutely golf clubs. You know, I never was a big believer in this. I was like, ah, you know what? Maybe it's not my type of sport. Um, but you know what? The relationships I've built on a golf course is far better than any other sport or any other activity I've done in the last, uh, you know, 10 years. So I would say, you know, pick up your golf clubs, pick up something that allows you to interact, not on a business basis, but on a personal basis, because you work with people, you don't work with businesses. Right. And so therefore I think my best investment was, was, was my golf clubs and, and the time that I spent practicing it and getting good enough where I can have a good conversation, have a good round enjoy the time that I have with people. Right on. And and maybe as a final question, Peter, and this is uh, calling a little bit of an audible, but my sense is you've done a lot of things right. Uh, very quickly, is there a biggest mistake uh, in your investing career that you'd like to share? Ending on a negative note? Absolutely. And, and this is very important. Um, don't have all your... Actually, no, no, no. This is, I mean, all your eggs in one basket, that's fine. But never have your capital fully deployed. That is my mistake. Never have your capital fully deployed at all times. And I'm, that one's another stolen one from uh, Dr. Pei, you know, uh, in what he what he's considered the Singaporean or the, the Asian Warren Buffett. He's a, a fund manager. And uh, I learned that from him. And, and I would say that's very well summed up because I've missed a huge amount of opportunities because I've had all my capital deployed. So never have your capital fully deployed at all times. Make sure that you always have capital in some capacity or uh, replenished. So that way you can take advantage of opportunities that are about to come your way. Sound advice. Well, maybe we'll leave it there, Peter. But uh, how can people find out more about what you're up to? And of course, uh, all the exciting things to, to be monitoring over the, the years to come here. Sure. Uh, well, people, most people get a hold of me on LinkedIn um, at I am Peter Leung. That's pretty much my handle for all social media. I'm, I'm, not, on, I'm not a big social media guy. The reality is I, I love building connections you know, speaking with people, you know, interacting with them, video calls, et cetera. So find me on Instagram, find me on uh, LinkedIn. I am Peter Leung. Uh, that's the best way to get hold of me. And, and we can converse from there if you want to carry a conversation. And it sounds like you'll be podcasting. You, you have podcasted in the past uh, and you will be podcasting in the future, which uh, we'll watch for that and, and alert our listeners because I think a lot of people listening will, will uh, want to be monitoring what you're doing in the future. There's a lot to take away here. Thank you. And, and you know, the podcast is still there. It's a little bit dated, but I mean, you can listen to, I think it was April of 2020, which is where I called sort of the, you know, the, the big rise in real estate. And I, I would say this, I still, I still believe in this today where I said um, in 10 years, triple your assets in 10 years, triple your net worth in 10 years. And that is going to be through real estate. So, um, I mean, I think arguably we're, we're probably over the last two years, we're probably you know, 100% up. 
uh, I think that there's definitely going to be another 100% up in the next five to eight years. So uh, real estate's the place to be. It's where I, you know, choose to spend my time, um, you know, if I'm going to be away from, from family. So I would say, you know, you can pick up some of those old stuff, but a lot of it still holds true. And, and I've had a lot of great guests on that as well. So look forward to that. And thank you, gentlemen, for having me. It was a blessing and a pleasure sharing with you and your, and, and your following here. Well, thank you, Peter. That was fantastic. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Investrapreneur. Peter Luong. Yeah, I really enjoyed that conversation with Peter, Matt. Uh, super nice guy. Always great having him on the show. I just love a guy that looks at the world like a chessboard. Yeah. Like the US, dollar, US dollars going up. I'm pulling the plug on some of my US stuff. Brexit. Buying back into Canada. Brexit opportunity. It, and everyone saw Brexit as an opportunity. But he, in terms of like, how many doors does he have? 46 doors or something? I can't. Oh, but commercial, residential, I can't see that past my nose. I, and I, <laughs> this is the craziest part is like, he is literally constantly engaged on a global scale, like a true global investor. Yeah. And, you know, I think we kind of hinted at this at the, in the beginning of the show or mentioned it, but it's that idea that there's so many people that have reached out from the VREP community over the years that have, have suggested that they would love, like the their goal is to transition from this nine to five to being a full-time investor because that's what they're, they're really drives them, right? right? That's what gets them out of bed. And this is a guy who's done it. Humble beginnings in, in Vancouver, pre-sale, first purchase. You know, parents were not real estate investors. Yeah. And now he's in Hong Kong collecting watches and fine tea and, 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 and adding a zero to uh, his uh, net worth. And, uh, uh, and looking at the globe and, and, and just moving stuff around. I love just, it. It's, it's uh, just unbelievable. Uh, I love, and you know what? And like good friend of the show, uh, Corey uh, Wright, has known Peter longer than us. Right. I mean, anyone that knows Peter just knows he's also like a salt of the earth uh, kind of guy, right? He's Super just, good guy. It, it's uh, it doesn't matter how how big he gets, and and he's huge. But with his investing, um, you know, he's still the most humble, down to earth guy, which is awesome. So yeah, it's fantastic. Speaking of Corey Wright, you just were on the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast yeah. this week, hot off the presses, PCI. Yeah, Brad Howard is the director of development at PCI. PCI is huge, right? I mean, you, you just got to drive around our city and you'll see their signs in the ground everywhere. Tons of commercial development around the city and it, everything that they do, they do some really stunning work as well, some really beautiful buildings. My, my, our, our conversation, I should say, uh, with Brad definitely highlighted some areas that were already on my favorites list, but it kind of put a new light on them. And I was, uh, I was surprised to, uh, I was surprised to hear like one of the areas that he highlighted was the false Creek flats, right. And what's going on along like great Northern way, really interesting comments on that area. He talked about projects they have all over the lower mainland, but if you're looking at like, just kind of as a real estate investor, you know, what areas are up and coming or where the opportunities are something that you should consider, you should definitely be listening to the Vancouver commercial real estate podcast. Cause you know, it's it's a real coup to get it, somebody like Brad on the show. Well, and the other thing I know your comment to me after that episode was, and I won't spoil it, but some interesting, interesting take, an interesting take on coming out of the recession that we uh, apparently haven't entered yet. Well, this is this is it, and that is uh, that's that's probably it's it's interesting because of uh, his comments, and I'll leave it here. But about a hockey stick recovery 
that could come sooner than later. Um, the 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 one thing too I want to mention about that conversation, which was I, I found really interesting, was um, something that we haven't considered before. But he gets a PCI gets confused for PCL a lot, and PCL is a another massive developer. And I, if I'm correct about this, I think they're doing St. Paul's right I, now. I, their signs are all over the yeah yeah. So when you come off the viaducts. Yeah. So I, for some reason, I had I mean, and he said this happens like daily, but for some reason, I thought PCI was was involved in in St. Paul's, but it's actually PCL. But his comment to me was. People don't realize how much of like a resource suck St. Paul's Hospital is for to the development community. That's and so I don't, interesting, yeah. Well, he wasn't, and he wasn't saying it obviously in like a disparaging way, but he was no, just, just saying, like the fact that a, pro, a billions of dollars. It's crazy yeah. the scale of that project, yeah, and how much resources are coming in for that project, and how many people are working on that project. And, and you never think about that so much. I mean, I'm sure people in the development uh, community think about it all the time, but it's something that a lot of people don't think about. Like it's actually taking a lot of resources out of the, the, the so local when market. A, a supply, we've been talking about the supply chain shortage, but supply right. shortages, labor shortages, that hospital is not helping. Sure. But no, man, it's going to transform Chinatown. Yeah. Well, I know. It's it's kind of like going for dinner with uh, Corey Wright. Nobody wants to talk to you anymore. It's like the whole room. He sucks the whole room in. It's unbelievable. Uh, anyways. So what else do we have, uh, Adam, before we cut for the day? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where all things real estate related live. All our back catalog, the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast back catalog. We have the Live Wire. This is our weekly mailer with stats before anyone else, different types of stats, deal of the month, pre-sales in the residential and commercial world. We also have, of course, private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. It's actually getting easier to navigate our site because we got a new site coming. Um, we're in the final stages of final a, stages. of a new of a new site being launched. This site is exciting. It's going to offer so much more. We'll save the details for another episode. But man, but anyways, if you want to sign up for PCS, head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com/pcs. There's no better time than right now to be monitoring the market because obviously, like we talked about, the biggest thing is the Asking price and sale price, there's, in many cases, there's quite a gap and you want to see what stuff is selling for it's, if you're going to be tuning into this market. It's very interesting right now. I was saying to somebody the other day, you put something on the market at X price sure. and offers come in without any, almost no relation. I know. It's like and whatever people- It's hard to people, tell someone to point to a comp nowadays because there's no comps- but yeah, the comps just, just are useless, right? The, the the market is so dynamic all the time. It's just a, it's it's a, just like it was six months ago, a year ago, a year and a half ago. It's an interesting time, and PCS is where you'll find out exactly what's going on. If you want to talk about that or anything else, give me a shout seven seven eight eight four seven two eight five four or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And next week, I'm so excited, guys, because we have Chris Harburn from Mark on, on the show. That interview was awesome. We've already done it. And it's, it's I can say, that was a great talk. It's a great talk. Uh, I'm fired up for it. So we'll see you back here next week. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.